as women, we have quite often suppressed that sexual side of ourselves. We've suppressed the part of us that really enjoys going, having fun, having sex, whether that is with a long-term partner or not, right? And Mm -hmm. so when you've got something that's already suppressing your libido, it can be like, oh, well, it doesn't really matter. I'm not really overly sexual anyway. And that was, again, something I noticed as I came off the pill. I was like, wow, okay, I had been this really highly active and then the pill really dropped my libido and then it started to pick up when I fixed my hormones. Welcome to the Wild and Well Collective Podcast, where we believe empowered health is your superpower. We have combined our expertise in medicine and nutrition to bring you the latest research, expert insights and success stories of people on a mission to live a big life. So buckle up and get ready to learn how to live wildly well. I'm excited about today because this is kind of your zone of expertise, which is really all around hormones. And today we're going to zone in to birth control, in particular birth control pill, all the effects that it can have on our bodies. And yeah, I'm excited to ask you some questions because I know that you have seen a lot more patients and clients in this realm of hormone dysfunction, having symptoms. And some of them are on the pill, and I'm really curious to learn about how you kind of taper them down, why we need to get out of them, et cetera. So yeah, let's start, like, first off, let's just talk about the birth control pill. And what are the most common reasons you see women get on them outside of of just preventing pregnancy? Because I think that's where, I know for my patients, I get the most frustrated with that the only reason they're on it is for some symptom. And in that sense, we're using the birth control pill as a Band-Aid, which we know it's not our, <laughs> not what we do. And so, yeah, tell me a little bit about what you commonly see using it outside of the reasons for preventing pregnancy. I love this question and I love this topic. I'm so excited that we're diving into it. It's one of the most questions things, <laughs> probably a really bad way of wording it. The things I get the most questions on when it comes to birth control. And for a very long time, I was all about the fluff and like, there's a place for it. And, you know, when it comes to birth control, not just the pill, like we're talking all hormonal contraceptives here as well, it's given women so much freedom. So, you know, the ability to have that autonomy over our bodies and not want to fall pregnant, you know, think about way back in the 60s, which wasn't really that long ago, but that's when it first started to become more and more popular. It allowed women to go into the workforce. It allowed us to, like I say, have that autonomy on our bodies. So yes, there's a place for it, but like you say, it's become this band-aid. And that is the biggest thing I've noticed. Women start to become more and more aware. And the beautiful thing is I've seen women start to become aware younger and younger and younger. There's a lot of pushback now from a lot of the teenagers that I work with, from a lot of the, you know, girls in their early 20s and their early 30s. They're like, actually, I'm realizing this isn't supporting my body. I'm realizing this pill has got a whole lot of nasty side effects that You know, when I was back at 13, 14 years old, I'd only just got my period and I got put on it for my skin. I was 14 and I started taking the pill and I asked there in the doctor's office, I was like, what are the side effects? Oh, there's nothing like maybe an increased risk of stroke. And when you're a 14 year old girl, you're like, I'm not going to have a stroke, (laughs) you know? And there are younger girls that I know actually who have had strokes since. And I wonder if there's some connection. But that's one of the, you know, more extreme side effects. And so to answer your question, there's a lot of research that supports over 60% of women who get on hormonal contraceptives, particularly the pill, are actually on it for reasons outside of contraception. Mm. Which is 
wild. And I, I do like that you opened it up with that because it's not to demonize um, birth control. I think it's, you're, you're right. It, it gives us women, you know, freedom. It gives couples freedom. But you're right. I mean, to put a 14-year-old on for skin, let's dive into some of those side effects because what people are going to see and what's going to be expressed to them in an office visit is probably going to be the what the white label says or what the what the white paper says on it as far as stroke, cardiovascular risk, but not the underground things that we know is going on under the surface. Yeah, I can literally remember sitting in my bedroom, pulling the packet out and reading through step by step by step. I mean, like, I don't know what what encouraged me to do that. And I was like, okay, this is fine for me to take. Because I, you know, look after my body. I'm 14. My risks are really low for the cardiovascular stuff. But what I wasn't informed of was the increased risk of anxiety, the increased risk of depression, the fact that it would probably load up my liver and actually cause more skin problems long term, the fact that it can cause and drive leaky gut, which then leads to food intolerances, the fact that we've got weight gain, you've got insomnia that can happen, your mood swings that can actually be a byproduct of being on the pill, which is ironic because PMS is one of the reasons you might get put on the pill in the first place, right? Mm -hmm. Migraines and headaches, again, things that people are told go on the pill for are actually driven by having these synthetic hormones thrown about. You can end up having painful sex. You can end up with vaginal dryness. Your libido is one of the biggest complaints I get from women of all ages when they've been on, especially something like the pill or other forms of hormonal contraception you've got thyroid imbalances you've got nutrient depletion so you know this is another thing i feel like with all medications but particularly with the pill and we can dive into this in a little bit there are key nutrients that your body needs to utilize the medication but doctors don't turn around and go to you hey make sure you're taking extra zinc extra b vitamins extra magnesium because we're depleting you by putting this pill in it actually can shrink, like, I know I'm going on a tangent, like not a tangent here, but I like a massive <laughs> list of all these things. It can shrink your clitoris, like, mm. like, and your ovaries, the size of your ovaries. So you think about all these fertility issues we're now seeing mm. in our, and like, and particularly in my generation, I've got to start to ask those questions. Like, is it because we've been suppressing our system for so long? Like, mm -hmm. and I'm just getting started on the symptoms. We're looking at skin issues, hair loss. You've got, and intensifies the risk of blood clotting. It really, the list does not stop. And mm -hmm. there was an American journal that published a study with over a million women. Like, that's a lot of women on the yeah. birth control pill. Yeah. And that showed that women who were on the pill were far more likely to be prescribed an antidepressant. That does not surprise me because... The patients of mine that have been on the pill, and I've looked at micronutrients, B vitamin status, across the board, you'll see really depleted B6, mm -hmm. really depleted B12. And B6 is such, you know, it's a it's a precursor to some of the neurotransmitters. And so it makes sense to me. You're low in B6, you're depleting that. And then now you've got some anxiety and increased depression. And I love that you pointed out that it's, I mean, it's ultimately, I think people get they assume that they're having some kind of a cycle because they have bleeding because they have the, you know, if you're on a pill and you take that week long of the sugar pills, you're bleeding, but it's not a real bleed because they're cutting, they're completely shutting down the brain to ovary 
conversation. There is no communication anymore. It's completely hijacked. And so it, I don't even know why you're, it's just to make us women think we're having a period, but you're not, it's not really a cycle. Yeah. Yeah. And I can talk to that because it's quite interesting. Again, the pill was designed by men and they actually, in the research of doing it and putting the pill out to consumers, they found that they had to put those withdrawal, that withdrawal bleed in the white sugar pills in because they're like, otherwise women are going to start to question what they're doing to their bodies. And so the amount of women that I talked to who still, and again, it took me a long time to wrap my head around it. So I can understand when you hear it once or twice, you're like, huh, kind of goes over your head. It is a withdrawal bleed. It is not a real period. Yeah. What that means, you've taken the medication out so your body bleeds. It is not a result of your hormones doing what they're meant to be doing. Yeah. And I think that is just a beautiful segue into... Can you speak to the power of the cycle? Because we are meant to cycle. We're meant to have the higher estrogen, the drop in it, the higher progesterone, so many health benefits to it. And I want you to talk about this, but it's, you know, I like to think about our cycle and the years that you're menstruating as like money in the bank because we're living so much longer. And because estrogen has such a correlation with cardiovascular health and bone health, it's so important to be having that natural ebb and flow throughout your menstruating years so that your 50s and beyond, you have kind of put into that health bank and you're really like stealing that from yourself by not having that. So can you talk to some of the benefits of having a natural cycle? A hundred percent. And there's a couple things here. First thing is I, one of my ongoing statements is your cycle is your superpower. And when I talk to that, I'm not just talking about cycle syncing, and I feel like we could do a whole different episode on that. So I'm not going to go down that pathway, but just be aware there is a thing called cycle syncing if you haven't heard of it. And you can use the four different phases that your body is in to really support where you're at with your energy, with your productivity, with your nutrition, with how your body's training. So there's a lot we can do in that space. But your period, your cycle is your fifth vital sign. Like just let that sink in. I mean, there's the blood pressure, there's your heart rate. Like I don't know the other ones off by heart, but there's five vital signs for a woman. Yet we're taught to shut off the the vital sign that tells us whether we are healthy or not. The amount of women that go, I don't care if I'm ovulating. I'd rather be able to skip my period and I don't need ovulation because I don't want to fall pregnant. Mm -hmm. To speak to what you've said. It's not about whether or not you want to fall pregnant. Your body's goal every month is to fall pregnant. Yes, your goal may not be. Your goal may be never to have children. But every single ovulation you have from the moment you hit puberty to the moment you enter a postmenopausal phase is like money in the bank. Like exactly what you said, health, almost like health points, if you want to think about it that way. It supports your bone density. It supports your mental clarity like estrogen is incredible for our brain health not just our bone health right like all of these hormones if you you know i think back to when i was on the pill back when anxiety wasn't what it is now right it's not this label that everyone puts on themselves saying they have anxiety and there are obviously a lot of people that do struggle with anxiety as well but i didn't realize what anxiety was i had a full blown anxiety attack full tears and everything in the middle of central park in new york city I was like, what is this? What is happening to my body? And it wasn't until I got off the pill, looked back and realized that Mm -hmm. I wasn't obviously having enough progesterone 
because it shuts off progesterone production. If you're not ovulating, there's no progesterone. What is progesterone? I'll keep calm and carry on hormone. The one that's anti-anxiety. I was so prone to anxiety attack. I remember dropping my drink bottle, like my Voss bottle, and the lid smashed. And I like burst into tears. It's like, I look back, I'm like, my gosh, I was acting like a full-on crazy person. I was 21 yeah. years old and just thought that how I was behaving was normal. You know, mum and I have had conversations since and she's like, I love you, sweetie, but <laughs> you weren't always the most pleasant to be around. And I think the amount of girls that were put on at such a young age as well, like it shaped a lot of who their identity was and how they think they behave. And then when they come off it, they're like, whoa, I am not this person that has these insane mood swings. I'm not this person that overreacts at the drop of a hat. I'm actually not someone who has anxiety. This is amazing. Yeah, I think there's so many things that we, symptoms that we don't realize and don't kind of tie back to our birth control. And I think a lot of women can relate to mood disruption being on the pill. What, you know, we've talked a little bit about mood, but what about the digestion, you know, our, our gut detoxification? You mentioned a little bit about the liver. So share a little bit about what you know and how the birth control pill in particular affects our complete digestion and ability to detoxify. Yeah, a huge, a huge thing I focus on is, you know, that that connection that has been studied and really researched around the pill and the leaky gut. And how, for those of you who aren't aware of what leaky gut is, it's essentially when you have the tight junctions in your gut start to separate or open, and that allows food particles, pathogens, parasites, all sorts of things to float through and end up in your bloodstream, which causes another whole world of problems. And so I quite often will get women coming to me and they're like, I just want to fix my hormones. And I'm like, that's great. <laughs> but you have to start with your gut health. And if you've been on the pill for a long time, chances are your gut is not happy. You've probably got some, I mean, even day to day, take the pill or take any sort of hormonal contraceptive out of the picture. Most people in the Western world have a leaky gut or have had a leaky gut of some sort. And it's very hard to stay on top of not going back to that, right? So you add in the pill, which causes more damage to the gut lining. You're then also loading up your detoxification pathways because just like any medication, and this was the point where I was like, oh, I hadn't even connected the dots myself. The pill is a medication. It's not just this contraceptive thing that you put your body on. And so the fact that it's medication means that it loads up the liver. The liver has to process everything, right? Everything that enters the bloodstream. And that's where it takes those key nutrients, the zinc the B vitamins, your magnesium to actually be utilized and made sure that the pill does the job effectively. But then because it's got synthetic hormones, not natural hormones, not bioidentical hormones, synthetic hormones, that then starts to load up the liver. And when we're looking at things like the endocrine disrupting picture or the hormone disrupting picture with things like synthetic fragrances and all of that that can come in from candles or perfumes and it's just another thing. The pill is just another thing to add to the mix. Hormonal, synthetic hormones are another thing to add to the mix that the poor liver is already overburdened by. Even the air we breathe puts a lot of stress on the liver. So it's like, why are we putting even more stress in when we don't need to? Yeah, women, I think, are particularly susceptible to just day-to-day toxins more so than men, even when it comes to 
beauty products, when it comes to cleaning products around the home. I mean, we really do slather a lot on our skin that does contribute to that as well. So yeah, I like that you say birth control is another medication and it's, we got to do something with it. We have to excrete it. Do you see that you have the same physiological effects with let's say the ring or IUD? Like what are other options for women who are like, okay, great. I've been on the pill for 15 years. Now what? <laughs> I don't want to have a baby. So what are other options that you find that are less, less, I guess, have less side effects and less under underpinnings of disruption to the body? That's a great question. I'm a huge advocate for the copper IUD and I'll touch on that in a second. But yeah, there's the ring, there's the injection, there's the rod that people get in their arms. There is the marina, or there's a couple of other names for it, but that's the most commonly termed one. That's the hormonal IUD. Some women do still ovulate on that. Mm -hmm. And it's more of a localized secretion of synthetic hormones. But I'm like, in my opinion anyway, there's still synthetic hormones going to your body. Mm -hmm. So again, sometimes I'm sure we'll touch on this at some point, like, Sometimes it may be the thing you need because you've got insanely heavy periods, but then <laughs> my practitioner brain kicks in and goes, but why? Right? Mm -hmm. Like the reason that you're getting all of these symptoms is because something deeper is going on, but we will touch on that in a little bit. And to answer your question, I always advocate for non-hormonal forms of birth control as much as you can. For some people, especially if you're with a long-term partner, like I'm going to be frank condoms suck you don't want to have to put one of those most on. people aren't going to stick to that yeah yeah and it's really not the most pleasurable like as women we have quite often suppressed that sexual side of ourselves we've suppressed the part of us that really enjoys going having fun having sex whether that is with a long-term partner or not right and mm -hmm. so when you've got something that's already suppressing your libido it can be like, oh, well, it doesn't really matter. I'm not really overly sexual anyway. And that was, again, something I noticed as I came off the pill. I was like, wow, okay. I had been this really highly active and then the pill really dropped my libido and then it started to pick up when I fixed my hormones. And so because, and that's, you know, this is where I'm going with that. <laughs> because of that reason, one, condoms are not fun in my opinion, but they're a great option for people if you're willing to use them and willing to use them consistently. The other option is your where you're tracking your cycle. Forget the mm -hmm. name of it now. My goodness, it's gone. Yeah, where well, you're tracking the cycle. I actually, to that point, I have, there's a device here in the US that I recommend to my patients. Yeah. It's called Nito device. We can actually put the link in the cool. show notes. But I, I like that device because it does track every month when you get a pretty clear look at your FSH and your LH surge and did you ovulate family, like natural family planning, which I would recommend if you're not in a consistent relationship, if you're just out and about and you have, yeah, if it's kind of unpredictable for you when you're going to have sex, then I would say maybe that's not the best option. So, but yeah, certainly if when you're kind of in a more monogamous relationship where you can track that a bit easier. Yeah. So come back to me now. So the fertility awareness method, for some reason, basal body temperature was coming up. And I was like, that's because that's how you, one of the ways you track it. So yeah, fertility awareness method is another great portal like you say if you are someone who is in a long-term relationship you are super aware of your body like even if you're coming off hormonal contraceptives or the pill i always recommend you have some other form of contraceptive method in place for at least three months or till you know your cycle is normal then you can actually start tracking properly and there are some incredible coaches out there that teach that i'm not one of them because i haven't done it personally and my personal preference is the copper ied still that i mean 
it's like having a little piece of copper that's living in you all the time. It's not ideal. I and mean, it's always about balancing out the the side effects, right? But for me, and it's what I what I personally use and I have a lot of my friends and clients on it because you don't have to think about it. It gets replaced every five to 10 years, depending which like size you get. And it means you can still have sex at the best time of the month and not have to worry about getting pregnant. Because I'm like, yeah, with the fertility awareness method, you aren't getting to enjoy your ovulation. Yeah. <laughs> if this is too much exactly. of your point, I do apologize. But sex, sex is a really natural part of our human experience. <laughs> and yes. I don't yeah. want women to have to shut that off. If you do choose to do the fertility awareness method, obviously you can use condoms and that during that time or whatever. But for myself, it's like, I'd rather not have to worry. <laughs> I, I also re- always recommend anything that's not oral. So like a pill by mouth or I definitely agree with the IUD, even with the, the ring that goes around the cervix, although that's still a bit more hands-on, whereas the IUD is placed, you don't have to worry about it for five years, but that's definitely keeping it more local. It's not something that's having to go through the liver. So you're kind of releasing that need for, you know, detox support. It's not going to affect the gut lining, the gut microbiome near as much. So I agree. That is definitely something that I recommend my patients go to. Can you speak to a little bit the difference between the hormone and the copper? So the copper, do you find that women need more zinc because copper and zinc kind of go hand in hand? And so do you have a protocol that you share with women who choose the copper IUD and supporting that balance? And and this also might be an educational moment that if you're choosing and looking at them, what is the, what are the pros and cons of choosing a hormonal IUD like a Mirena or a copper IUD, which contains no hormones, it's just disrupting the endometrial lining and what kind of care do they need to take? i.e. taking maybe a zinc supplement alongside that. Yeah, so the Marina, we, like we've spoken to a little bit, it's still going to have localized synthetic hormones that are circulating through the body. So you do have to be mindful that you're supporting your liver a little bit more and you are supporting the gut as well because it is still got those synthetic hormones, right, that are going to be loading those detoxification pathways, even though it is a little bit more localized. But you don't, ne- and you're still going to have to support your body with extra zinc and B vitamins and that sort of thing as well purely because you've got those synthetic hormones being pumped through. The copper, on the other hand, the copper IUD, you do definitely need to add the extra zinc because the way that the copper IUD works is it repels the zinc in the sperm. So therefore, it can repel some zinc in your body. And considering we're generally, because we don't have zinc in our soil in most countries, enough zinc in our soil to get it into our foods, which is generally zinc deplete, like depleted already, already in a deficiency, I will normally tell my clients to be like almost double, if not triple, the amount of zinc that they actually need like on a day-to-day basis for, for someone who may not have the copper IUD. So one of the biggest complaints that I get from women, like, I don't want to go on the copper IUD because I've heard that your skin's going to flare up. I've heard that it's really painful, like your cramps get worse, or I've heard you get really heavy bleeding. And to talk to those points, again, zinc is one of the key nutrients you need to get clear skin and so if you're zinc deficient already because maybe you're transitioning off the pill and you haven't been having zinc for your entire time you've been on that and then you pop in something that's going to deplete your zinc in even more with the copper IUD you're probably going to find you get more breakouts so someone like myself I actually take 50 milligrams if not more of zinc each day so not 15 which is the daily recommendation right I don't really agree with but 50 so that I'm topping up myself for what I need and then on top of that, because I have the cop IUD there. The other thing is like heavy periods. This is often due to an iron deficiency 
or an estrogen dominance. It's not actually the copper IUD. And so for women, it's actually addressing the underlying need for maybe more iron or clearing out more estrogen. Maybe their liver needs some extra support. I, when I've, I found when I heal women at the root of their hormones, that they don't actually have to worry at all about the heavy periods. I don't get heavy periods at all on the copper IUD. None of my clients do because they've healed at the root. They don't have that estrogen dominance. And the same thing goes for cramps, you know, like if you've got something that's sitting in your uterus, it's a little IUD, the uterus isn't going to feel like the cervix isn't going to feel overly comfortable with it there all the time. So you may be more prone to cramping. And that's where, you know, I recommend everyone has magnesium in addition to their normal dietary intake, but we might have to double that, particularly in the lead up to your period, just to mitigate those effects. So it's a really easy way without putting in synthetic hormones without putting in other nasties you can just bump up your supplementation a little bit and you're mitigating a lot of the the side effects that i know a lot of women are concerned about when they do go on the copper iud but i bet you there's not a lot of this education when someone's placing a copper iud first of all it's probably not promoted by your practitioner they're probably something different and that they're probably not educating you if you do choose the copper they're probably not educating you on some of those things and how to really support yourself and not have some of the side effects that could perhaps come from the copper IUD via, you know, zinc, like you said, magnesium to help cramping. I Two things, and I think let's start with how to taper off. So if someone's listening saying, oh, I've been on this pill forever and I want to taper off, is there a point in the cycle that it makes most sense to just stop taking the pill? Or is there more of an ideal place in, let's say, your packet to stop and should you get something placed like an IUD or your next form of birth control if it requires that before you get off the pill? Yeah, great questions. And I will say to your point, so many people get put off, like so many people get diverted to another form of hormonal contraceptive. They want to come off the pill. I have the amount of clients I've said, if, if it feels aligned, again, you always have the autonomy over your body. And if you know that that's what feels good for you, do that. So when they do, they're like, yep, okay, I'm going to try the copper IUD. Doctors will often derail them or nurses will be like, no, we don't want you going and doing that because of all these other side effects. Whereas, like I just explained, they're very easy to mitigate for the most part. But if someone is looking to transition off, I mean, I was on the pill for 10 years and I found out the side effects that same, that very next day, because I'd already taken my pill that morning, I stopped. I just cold turkey stopped. I was like, I'm not putting this crap in my body ever again. I don't recommend doing that. That's <laughs> yeah. an option. I normally recommend that people do a bit of gut healing and a bit of gut support first so that your, your gut's already in like a probably a pretty poor state, even though you may not feel it significantly, like in terms of bloating or food intolerances, you'll be surprised how much healing you actually need to do because you've been pumping it through your system for so long. So I normally recommend we do some gut healing, then come off the pill, do some more gut healing, then we support the liver to make sure we're clearing out any leftover of those synthetic hormones. And then we transition you into like just a normal, natural, eating whole world foods consistently to a lifestyle that's really balanced, right? So that's what you do kind of on the back end to support detoxification pathways, to support the clearing out of any sort of hormones that may be lingering, to talk to the fact with when you stop, it really doesn't matter because if you're on something like the pill, you haven't been having a real cycle anyway. So... Right you're not in a cycle to be like okay i'm gonna wait till i've ovulated and then i'm gonna come off you haven't ovulated when you're on the pill you do not ovulate 
it shuts off the connection between your brain and your ovaries. So you could, and I'm not recommending you do this, but you could stop tomorrow and it wouldn't matter in terms of how long it takes to reconnect. And one of the things that I didn't realize was it takes a long time for that brain and ovary connection to be established in puberty. Right. And so if you're someone like myself who went on at 14 after only having a year of periods, maybe even like nine actual periods before we interjected with something for your skin, like for the pill to help with your skin or whatever, which is a lot of the stories I end up hearing, you haven't even given the body the time for the brain and the ovaries to connect. It's why so many young girls get to age 16, 17, 18, and they're told they have PCOS or PCOS because they've got irregular cycles. It can take three to six years for the connection to develop. And so when you come off the pill, mm-hmm. can, if you've only given yourself a year to develop that connection and then you've gotten five, 10, 15 years where you've interrupted that, interrupted that connection, you can then take another three, four years on the other side of the pill to establish mm-hmm. that. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, when people talk about PCOS, there's four different kinds. And most of the time it's, it's- resistance, but they're post-pill PCOS. And that's because it does take some time to actually create that FSH, that follicle stimulating hormone connection from the brain to the ovary again. So some women that I know can last three, six months, even longer, depending on how long and how long it takes, how long they've been on the pill and how long it takes their body and their brain to kind of recover and reestablish that, oh, hey, we need to send a signal again. <laughs> and, and that can sputter in some people and, and can be really frustrating if you've been on the pill for, let's say, 15 years and you're ready to have a baby and it's just not happening because now you've you've got some post-pilled PCOS where the, you're just not getting a mature ovulation. Like it's just the, that connection is just not there. That's the heartbreaking thing. And that's where I get a lot of women coming to me going, I want to come off the pill because I want to have a baby soon. And I'm like, how soon? I honestly recommend if you're on the pill right now or if you're on any hormonal contraceptive, give yourself at least a year. I know that sounds like a long time, but if you are thinking or contemplating having children, and there are there are some people that come off and they their hormones, great, bang, beautiful. You have a baby within the month. Make sure you've got that other form of hormonal contraceptive yes. lined up if you're not wanting to have the baby. One of those. The baby for a year. <laughs> I was one of those within a month. It worked just fine. But that being said, I had only been on the pill for about a year. Yes. And so I think it has to do also how long you've kind of been suppressing that system, right? So I hadn't been suppressing it that long. And so in my particular body, it it came back right away, ovulation. But that's not always the case, especially, like you said, people get on at 14 and they're like, well, I don't want a baby yet. So why go off the pill, you know, until I'm 30 and now I'm 35 and I want to have a baby and, and you've been on it for half of your life. And that's... I think that's the sad thing when people don't understand what, how it can impact fertility, but also how it can be impacting their overall level of inflammation in their body because of the gut dysbiosis, because of the detoxification issue that's been going on for half of their life. But let's, let's flip the script a little bit. And I, I want to talk to you about women who do have, let's say insulin resistant PCOS, or they've got heavy bleeding because of endometriosis, or they don't know why they just have really heavy periods and they're GYNs like get you on the pill. Is there a time and a place for the pill? And if the answer is no, how do you address someone who is coming in with just, I've had a period for six weeks straight, what's going on? You know, talking to those women and saying, wait, don't let your GYN put you on a pill. Let's 
let's do some other work. You know, is there a place for that in your opinion? And how do you manage your patients that come in like that? I see this all the time. And sometimes, you know, and I say, I was actually talking to one of my clients and she was like, oh my gosh, I just, I just need for some sanity to know that my bleeding can stop. And mm-hmm. if that's the case, I, again, support whatever feels right for you and your body. There is a lot we can do to support you whilst you're on the pill or other forms of hormonal contraceptives. We can give you extra nutrients. We can support the gut. You just may end up taking a few extra supplements to, if again, I always say try to look at this as a short term. If you're going to me, okay, sure, I just can't deal with this. I want to just go on the pill for the rest of my life till I hit menopause. You are, I'll say it right now, going to have a horrific menopause. So let's not do that. But if it's a short-term interim thing, just for sometimes it's the too hard basket. The amount of women I get coming to me going, I'm about to get married. I really don't want to go through a whole lot of hormonal changes. But I do know in a year's time, because I'm getting married, I'm probably going to want to start a family, yada, yada, yada. They want to be prepared to go off the pill. And I'm like, that's perfect. We can work. Like, why don't we work together after that? So that you can start to put some practices in place. But if we're coming to the PCOS um, symptoms, if we're coming to the adenomyosis, a lot of women get it um, get on the pill for the pain, for the endometriosis, for, I shouldn't laugh, but it just, I, I can't not laugh. Like the fact that they put people on the pill to regulate their cycle <laughs> just baffles me because it is just shutting it off. A cycle. <laughs> it is not a cycle. You are just shutting it off. Your period, your whole cycle off. But yeah, anyway, with things like PCOS and things like endometriosis, it's actually getting to the root cause. Mm -hmm. It is resetting. If you're insulin resistant PCOS, let's balance your blood sugars. Let's get you insulin sensitive again. Let's get you having a regular cycle. Like polycystic ovarian syndrome is a syndrome as well. And I do want to talk to that a little bit because... I've seen a lot of women reverse it completely because they've done the deeper healing work for their gut. They've cleared out their detoxification pathways and they're optimized what they're eating at regular timing. They're not doing the crazy fasting. They're not doing the massive restrictive diets. They're not going full keto for like five years, right? They are listening to their body. PCOS disappears. Yeah. Endo, I get that. You can get the growths and sometimes surgeries are needed to remove some of those growths. There is a lot of research of different ways you can get rid of the growths as well through dietary changes. But again, there are specific foods, there are specific protocols you can go on. And that's what I take my clients with endo through to mitigate the heavy bleeding. Ultimately, most people with endometriosis have super heavy bleeding because their estrogen levels are really high, Mm -hmm. right? So if we can support estrogen detoxification in the body, we're not going to be experiencing that. And if we manage the rest through dietary and lifestyle changes, those growths aren't going to come back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Either is the pain. Yeah. And I think that this is just, I think the goal in this conversation, and I know we both feel this, is that empowered health is really where it's at. And when you don't understand what's happening and all you know is that your GYN says, get you on the pill, and that's the only option you're given, well, no wonder. I mean, you, you're tired of having this nonstop period, you're tired of feeling the way that you do with the pain or whatever symptom you're having. And so I'm hoping that this conversation at least opens the door to different thinking for yourself of what's available to me, what's actually going on underneath my, underneath, you know, it's not that we need to just shut this off. It's that we need to fix why it's kind of gone a bit haywire. And, you know, you've really brought up some 
really three pivotal things. It's number one, metabolic health. So regulating blood sugars across the board can be really, really supportive. Healing the gut is super important. And there's a bazillion protocols out there, a bazillion different supplements out there. Maybe we can put some in the show notes of some options that can help people. And then finally, you know, supporting detoxification. And I think for the listener who's like, where do I even start if I don't know a practitioner? I think some really easy ways to start is to supplement correctly. So what I'm hearing you saying and what I use also is maybe a P-complex, a magnesium and a zinc. Some ratio of those can be really supportive for, you know, for ovarian health. And then also when we talk about metabolism and we talk about ovarian health, dairy and sugar and alcohol, those all tend to be really, and sometimes gluten for sure with the gut, kind of the heavy hitters, right? With things that you do have control over, maybe just eliminating those for, let's say 30 days to see how you feel and then slowly bringing some of those in piece by piece to see which one is kind of the one for your body that that's really kind of causing more of this inflammation, the symptoms, how do you feel about those kind of recommendations? Like where, what are the foundations that you would recommend for our listeners that are like, great, now what, what do I do? <laughs> yeah. And I just, I just want to say, cause it's coming through, like, this is not here to shame anyone or judge anyone either. Like if you feel like you need to stay on it, if you feel like that's your only option, if you, for whatever reason, it's the right choice for you and your body, please know, like, I'm not coming at you. <laughs> Yeah, no judgment with the pill. But. No judgment. It is literally, I'm coming at this from a place of love. And this is the information I wish someone had have shared with me yeah. when I was 14, 15, 16, when I went to the OBGYN and I was like, why am I still getting all these symptoms? Why is my weight not shifting from my thighs? Why is my mood so low? Could it be the pill? Could it be the pill? Could it be the pill? No, 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 was every single answer I got. And I got told all of these things were in my head. And so... I'm sharing this, like I said, from a real place of love, but if the only option is to stay on it or stay on hormonal contraceptives, like I said, there's a lot of ways we can support you. But to talk to your question of where someone should start, I think you, you said it perfectly. The other thing I do quite often will recommend on top of that list of the zinc, the magnesium, the B-complex will be an omega of some sort, so an omega-3, especially, you know, if you've been on the pill and the moods are an issue for you, some sort of a balanced omega in the sense you've got some of the evening primrose oil that comes through, the really good omega-6 can be great, even borage oil. So Nordic Naturals does one called Omega for Woman. And I know that that's available worldwide, which is why I absolutely love it as a recommendation for a supplement. They're super, super highly quality control tested as well for mercury and that sort of thing. Also very, very digestible. They're tiny little pills, no reflux component. Sound like an advert for them now. But essentially, I do love that. And that's all things you need to consider when you're we are shopping for supplements. But adding that in from an anti-inflammatory effect, from the effect of balancing the moods, also from the effect of oil combat oil in the body. So if you are someone that's concerned about skin health, it can be a really great place to, like a really great addition to add add to that. If you're someone that's got the gut issues, there may be a need to add in a probiotic as well, just to bring up the good bacteria because the bad bacteria has probably been thriving. Most most women I speak to have had some sort of issue with candida or yeast overgrowth or thrush when they've been on the pill. And that's another sign to show the dysbiosis or the, the imbalance of good and bad bacteria in your gut that can be going on when you're on this particularly things like the pill. So 
that would be another place to start. And then, like you said, removing those foods that are really highly known to drive inflammation. I have a specific protocol that walks you through it step by step. But if you're just wanting somewhere to start and reset, you've got your 30 days of, like you say, reduce the sugar, reduce the alcohol, reduce the gluten, reduce the dairy. And I know it sounds like a lot and you'll probably be amazed at how much these show up in foods that you weren't even aware, aware of. The other one which can be really hard. And I still like hand on heart say that I cannot eliminate them 100%, but seed oils, your canola oil, your vegetable oil, your sunflower oil, like all of the oils that realistically you couldn't actually get oil out of unless you highly processed the thing, right? You're not going to squeeze a sunflower and get a drop of oil out of it. Like this is where we need to remit, really remove those because a lot of them drive up the high level of inflammation in the body and can actually be causing a lot of the underlying hormonal imbalances in the first place. So if you can reduce those, you're also going to make your transition off or even if you're staying on so much smoother. Yeah. The processed oils are hard and most processed foods are made with them because they're cheaper oils. Most restaurants use them because they're cheaper oils. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the way you can have control over that is eating out less, eating less processed foods but also in your home, never using vegetable oils. And I find like avocado oil I'll use even with brownies because like my kids are making something and, and avocado oil tends to be really mild in flavor. So it's not like the olive oil. You can actually use it in place of some of the highly processed vegetable oils that are so inflammatory. And so again, it's just kind of making choices where we have options, where we have some control because there's so many places that we don't. So that's another really great add-on. And we can put in a quick protocol in the show notes. Um, I'll attach that, that we'll just go through full script where there's just a cluster of some supplements that we recommend that can be supportive. And of course we are practitioners, but we are not your practitioner. So if you're listening to this, it's always good to check in with someone who knows your personal, your health on a personal basis, but we can certainly put in some recommendations when brands that we trust that we can pop in there. I think this talk has been great. And I hope that women listening feel really empowered in the choice that they're making, no matter what it is. Mm -hmm. Obviously, like you said several times that, you know, birth control is a blessing for women that we can have control over fertility. Amazing. But next level is that we understand the levels of, of birth control and the options that we have and kind of being able to weigh those risks versus benefits and how to support yourself while you are taking control over your own fertility, because I think that's really the true empowerment there. So thank you so much for sharing all of your insight. Brilliant, brilliant around all of this. And definitely you guys reach out to Sheree directly in her socials if you have questions around this whole topic, because she is a wealth of knowledge around hormones and kind of tapering down and, and talking to you on a personal basis, maybe about your birth control options. So thank you so much for your sharing your brain. Oh, thank you for letting me. If you can tell it's something I'm very, very passionate about. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's Love great it. to have this conversation and and to have it with no holes barred because I feel like sometimes we have to put a filter on ourselves. But um, no, I'm not doing that anymore. So <laughs> but yeah, amazing are open. My inbox is always open. Like I know this can be a really scary transition. I know this can be scary to even think about. I know sometimes it can just be the shock factor if you're listening to this and it's the first time hearing a lot of the information and just know that we're holding you through this. Like it doesn't have to be scary. It doesn't have to be overwhelming. And please don't do what I did and beat yourself up for being on the pill for so long. Like I said, I was on it for 10 years and didn't even realize what I was doing to my body. Yeah. But look at it as 
a blessing because if I hadn't gone through that and had all of the issues, I probably wouldn't be sitting here sharing all the knowledge with yeah. you now. So you can thank Phil for that. <laughs> this falls in the bucket of once you know, you can't unknow and you, you do the best with what you know and now you know a bit more. So you guys, thanks for joining us. We can't wait to share more and more with you. So yeah, follow us, share this with anyone who needs it. And thanks for being here. We'll see you next time. Take care. If you love this episode, be sure to leave us a review, download and subscribe. If you know someone that could also benefit from this conversation, please share. That's how we spread empowered health. We'll see you again for another episode of the Wild and Wild Collective.